Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. morning, everybody. It is my privilege, as Ingrid said, to be bringing the word to you guys um, or to be commenting on chapter 29 and chapter 30. I trust that you guys um, uh, did what uh, Padre uh, Ken asked you to do and you read and observed and um, asked the Holy Spirit to guide you through chapter 28. Um, You know, uh, chapter 29 is all about renewal or renewing of the covenant. Just to bring you back um, in Exodus 24, seven, eight, you may, uh, you know, you may recall that Moses, um, you know, led the people into the first covenant um, with God. And that was about 40 um, years um, before, um, you know, at Mount Sinai. And, and, you know, now it is uh, 80 years later and, and he has a new generation of people uh, to enter um, into the land um, which God had promised them. So they're right at the crux of the promised land and it's a new generation. And Moses is now seizing the opportunity to reconfirm the covenant with this new generation, appealing to them to obey. I'm not going to go through the, the, the whole chapter. I'm just going to make reference to the, the verses because you guys were supposed to have read it before. So let's dive in. In verses one and uh, to nine, as I said, Moses urges the people to enter into, a, um, into the covenant. It's a new generation. So he's urging them to enter based on historic remembrance. Historic remembrance of the blessings that they or previous generations had received from God in the past. And, you know, verses two and three talk about the deliverance from Egypt, you know, the plagues, the deaths of the firstborn, the parting of the Red Sea. Um, You know, verses five and six talk about the miraculous provisions in the wilderness. They ate manna, they they drank miraculous water and their clothes and their shoes never wore out. And then, of course, this nation of slaves in verses seven and eight conquered, conquered um, Zion and Og. These are strong, strong nations, yet God um, allowed them to conquer them. So while with these reminders, Moses asked people to keep their part of the covenant. They were to love God with all their hearts and all their minds and all their soul. That was given uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5. If they followed God, they will prosper in all that they did. We too are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in Matthew 6, 33. And through success in life will follow as blessings from the hand of God. Do you imagine clothes and sandals 
do not survive 40 years of wear and tear in the wilderness apart from a miracle. The wilderness could not provide enough food and water to meet the needs of 2 million people apart from a miracle. And the nation who was slaves for 400 years does not conquer standing nations and take their land apart from a miracle. Moses reminded them that of these things because he knew they would likely forget when they enter the land of milk and honey. We too must nurture and that, you know, our remembering of God's past and present provision in our lives. If we don't do that, we run the risk of deluding ourselves into thinking that we are the ones who provided for ourselves. We may feel we can do whatever we want and whatever we please with what we have because we earned it and deserved it. But we must remember, along with the Israelites, that everything we have and everything we are is from and because of the Lord. We are simply stewards of his gift. We must take heed to not forget that. These miraculous works have also spiritual counterparts in our lives under the new covenant. In the wilderness of this world, God says, come and buy white garment from him so we may recover our Adam nakedness and our shame and our guilt, Revelations 3.18. Shoes for our feet are given to us by the readiness of the gospel of peace, Ephesians 6.15. Through Christ and his covenant, we are given bread, his body, wine, his blood, to drink in his remembrance, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. In Christ, we conquer our enemies, Romans 3 or Romans 8, 37. And we can take the land of our spiritual enemies, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 5. So let's go back to verses two and four to sit there for a while. Notice the contrast of the two sentences. In verse two, and Moses said, and Moses summoned all Israel and he said, you have seen all the land, uh, all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Moses contrasted the relationship between the physical and the spiritual side. He let the people know that even though they had physical memories of God's miraculous deliverance and sustaining power, they still lacked the spiritual eyes and the ears they needed to grasp the spiritual meaning or application of these signs and wonders. Israel received every blessing, every provision and victory from God, yet they couldn't see them and they didn't hear what he was saying to them. They couldn't grasp his, uh, their utter dependence on him. Their natural eyes and ears were not enough to move them from physical sight or sound to spiritual sight and hearing. The nation still needed God to give them minds that understood and hearts to perceive. Paul dealt with, that, um, with Israel's um, blindness in Romans 11:8. He said, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. Does this mean that God did not permit them to comprehend that he turned them off? No, 
it means that they were already turned off. God had to turn them on. Today, there is a perspective that miraculous events do great wonders to evangelism or for evangelism. After all, who would not be moved to believe with such display of spiritual power? We are all believing for salvation for our families, friends, coworkers, friends, and neighbors. We often pray for God to do a miracle in their lives. The reality is people can see miracles all their lives and not believe. If God did not send his spirit to change the Israelites' heart, then the greatest wonder imaginable will not make a difference. It is the same for those we believe to, to be saved. Seeing great wonders would accomplish nothing in their hearts apart from a spiritual work of God in their hearts. John C. Maxwell says, we don't need to see great miracles to trust and obey God. We need to trust and obey God to see greater miracles. A person with a disobedient heart draws a curtain around his soul until he, he or she sees no light. An obedient hearted person opens the window of his soul and is awed by the greatness of God. Light is appropriated as we obey and apply God's truth in our lives. We all have, and I was blind, and now I can see or hear story. We were once spiritually deaf and blind to what God was doing in our lives until God opened our eyes and spiritually turned our ears and we could not, you know, we could hear the good news of the gospel. Let's not forget our spiritual blindness and hard-heartedness stories when we get frustrated, impatient, or discouraged with our family members and friends and coworkers because they don't get it, they're not listening, or they're not hearing or saying or, or believing or even moved to action with respect to giving their lives to Christ. Let's give them grace while we continue to speak the truth with love and compassion and pray that God will enlighten the eyes of their hearts for them to believe, for him to give them wisdom of revelation and knowledge of them so they could understand the riches of his power and the hope that, uh, that they have in him through the son of Jesus Christ. This actually is a portion of our memory verse. In verses 15 to 10, or in verses 10 to 15, Moses says to the new generation, enter into the covenant that the Lord may establish you as his people, that he may be their God. The entire community of Israel was included in God's desire for a covenant relationship with them. His desire was for the whole nation to be set apart from him, not just the prominent, the mature, the talented citizens, or the Levitical priesthood. God will fulfill his promise to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the entire nation. However, Israel would have to be obedient to take hold of what God had promised. This relationship was not only for those with Moses on that day, it was also for those to follow. The generational principle applies to us today. We too must make sure we pass on to the next generation, their role and focus on the obedience to God. Jesus included future generations in his prayer of intercession before he was crucified on John 17, 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Moses' appeal was an urgent nature. 
Three times in verses 10, 12, and 13, he used the word today to encourage God's people to make an immediate response. All we are assured is this moment. We cannot regain tomorrow. What we lost through today's inattentiveness or moments of brief spiritual insanity, we cannot gain back. We must face the choices we have to make with alertness and spiritual vigor and the reality that tomorrow is never guaranteed. What is God calling you to do today that you're putting off for tomorrow or another day? Is it forgiveness? Is it repentance? Is it sharing the word with your neighbor? Is it crossing the street to speak to someone who you have ignored for years? Is it inviting someone to church? What is it? He says, seize the moment today. So you don't have to say, I shoulda, or what if I did, or I coulda. So let's move on to verses 16 to 28. Moses issues a stern warning to the Israelites. He appeals to their past to influence their future. The Israelites had passed through the pagan territories and seen Egypt's idols and other nations and, uh, uh, you know, and other gods. Gods of wood, stone, silver, and gold. He cautioned them in verses 18 not to choose these lifestyles and turn from their God to avoid establishing a root or a foothold of bitter poison within the community and the nation. This should remind us of the potential for a small root of sin to have dire consequences within the body of Christ if it bears poisonous or bitter fruit. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no bitter root springs up and cause trouble, and by it many become defiled. When you decide to do what you know is wrong, we plant an evil seed that begins to grow out of control, eventually leading a crop of bitter, of sorrow and pain. Immediately confessing our sins to God and others limit the seed from finding fertile ground so bitter fruit will never ripen. Brothers and sisters who confess their sins need encouragement, support, and comfort from the body of Christ and trusted friends to walk with them through their challenging times. Otherwise, difficulties may make them bitter, which could poison the entire fellowship of believers. In verses 19, Moses uncovers the blindness that lives in every heart, including yours and mine. We assume we could be our own God. How many times do we tell ourselves the same thing? We, know, we knowingly make choices that have great consequences or may destroy us. We get arrogantly prideful and build false confidence in our abilities. We say, I'll be safe. But God says, no, you won't. Nothing can be hidden from God, and he will have no trouble picking out individuals who are guilty of such sin. In the case of the Israelites, Moses warned them that they would never be will, a God would never be willing to forgive such persons. His wrath and his zeal will burn against them, and the curses of chapter 27 and 28 will settle upon them, and their names will be blotted out of heaven. This seems severe but it was God's response to them because they were leading others astray. 
this action will have an impact on the entire nation and future nations. And God will make that nation an example for all to look at later to see the error of their ways, 20 through 28. We should be careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That's in Ephesians 5, 15, 16. The old and the new covenant was never designed for us to do whatever we wanted and have confidence that all will be well. Specific laws under the old covenant guided the people of Israel, and there was a sacrificial system to cleanse and forgive them for their sins. In the new covenant, we are forgiven, made righteous through Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. And we have the revelation from and guided by the Holy Spirit. The dictates, however, remain the same in both the old and the new, that is to love God with all our hearts and all our minds and all our souls and all our strength. So Moses ended this chapter with a cryptic statement on verses, in verses 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of the law. It may be difficult to understand how a loving God could severely punish his people or his children. However, there are some things only God knows. Isaiah 5, 55, 89 says, for my thoughts are your thoughts, um, are not your thoughts, nor are your ways, your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your ways. And my thoughts, so, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than yours. Though God is mysterious and, and certain secret things belong only to him, he has chosen to reveal himself to humanity through his word. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is Timothy 3, 16, 17. Doctrine tells us what is right. Reproof tells us what is not right. Correction tells us how to get it right. And instruction tells us how to stay right so that we can be equipped to minister to others. God has also chosen to make himself known through his son, Jesus Christ. John 1, 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as for the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. And Hebrews 1, 2 says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he has created the world. So even though we can never gain knowledge of the secret things which belong to the Lord, we have access to what he has clearly revealed in his word about who he is and how he wants us to live. And we are accountable to those, the things that we know. We will always have things we don't understand, especially the whys of horrific tragedies. This should not stop us from putting our faith and trust in God, leaving the things that we don't understand for him to work out. After all, he promised to work even the most difficult circumstances for good on behalf of his chosen and loved people. Romans 8, 28. So that's uh, um, chapter 28 or chapter 29, let's move on to chapter 30. 
I'm watching my time here. So as we read further chapters into the Old Testament, we will see that the happy story of the Israelites entering the land and the life that God had for them in Canaan would soon turn sad. Over time, they didn't remember or follow what Moses told them. They experienced many of the curses that he warned them uh, about in chapters 27 uh, through to 28. They will eventually be enslaved, scattered, and exiled from the promised land. The story will not end, or the story would end there if it was up to them to turn things around. But it's not up to them. After all, they're God's people, and he has no intention of allowing them to be alienated from him or exiled forever. So in chapter 30, the spirit of God gave Moses the pathetic eye to see how he would restore them. It is a beautiful story of God's redemption plan for the children of Israel, which is also for us as people who have been included in the covenant of God. Of course, we know we have a better covenant today because of Jesus Christ. So in this chapter, we really see God's heart for his people, his graciousness, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his compassion. Even when his people turned away, he never turned his back on them. In verses three to nine, God promised the Israelites and their children that after they recall the curses and afflictions during the disparaging exile period, if they return to obeying him with all their heart and mind and soul, he will have mercy on them and restore their fortune, verses three. He will bring them back from where he had scattered them, no matter how far they were, verses four. He will bring them back to the land their fathers possessed so that they could repossess it, making them more prosperous than ever before. Verses five, they, he will remove the curses and he will um, you know, put them on their enemies or he will put the curses on their enemies and their prosecutors. That's verses uh, seven. He will make them obey his commands and his voice, verses eight, and he will take delight in prospering them and prospering the work of their hands, the fruit of their wounds and their ground. That's verses six. This is a message for us as well. God says, no matter what you do, I'm always gonna find a way to take you back. Our God is a God of many chances. He will never forsake us even when we reject him. Distance is no barrier to the love of God. No matter how many steps we take to, from God, whether it's 10, 10,000, 100, 50,000, we only need to take one step back to him in repentance. And he will forgive us, restore us, and bring us back into right relationship with him. He will put us, or he will not push us away or hold us at a distance. He will draw us in and reinstate us back into his family, just like the father did with the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11, 32. His promise stands. If we are faithful to God, God will continue to be faithful to us. Where in your life do you need to stop, turn around and go to the feet of the cross for forgiveness? God already knew you will be exactly where you are and he still called you to be his. Don't let sin, failure, or the enemy's lies stop you from stepping into the plans and promises God have for your life. Don't run away from God. Turn back, repent, recommit yourself, and move forward by allowing the Holy Spirit to restore your relationship with God. Thank God he gives us this choice every day, including right now. All the blessings that Moses had recited to the nations will be realized when Israel 
become circumcised in their hearts as he had commanded them to do. And that is in verses six. And the Lord, your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. In Deuteronomy 10, one six or one to six, the people were told to circumcise their heart. Moses was not speaking of out, the outward act of circumcision, but of a spiritual circumcision of the heart. The cutting away of selfish ambitions, which causes spiritual insensitivity and lack of devotion. How could Israel in their own power and will do that? Cut away their selfish stubbornness towards God, their deliberate forgetfulness of his ways. They couldn't. While they had the natural ability, they did not have the moral ability. God promised through Moses that one day he would do what they couldn't do for themselves. Years later, he reminded them of that promise through the prophet Jeremiah in uh, Jeremiah 31 to 30 to 33 and Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 24 to 27. Circumcision of the heart comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the word of God. God changes us from the inside by circumcising our hearts and filling us with love for him. This in turn expresses itself in obedience. Every time we go to the feet of the cross in the posture of repentance, we pull back the foreskin of our heart in humble submission to God. In verses 10 to 1, Moses speaks about Israel's complete spiritual restoration and blessing in the kingdom age, which will, come on, which will not come until Jesus returns in his millennial kingdom. In other words, we are still waiting for what Moses spoke about to happen. When it does, God will give the people of Israel new hearts to obey him, and they will believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They will enjoy a time of blessing greater than the nation has ever known. Moses, however, lays out a crucial decision concerning the covenant in the second half of the chapter. It is a choice of life and death. So in the verses between one and 14, he reminds Israel that God had clearly revealed the law even though it originated from heaven. He said, it is not incomprehensible or inaccessible. The law had been written down and they were familiar with, is the, with, with its demands. Moses says to them, you can speak it, it's in your mouth. You, and you know it, it's in your heart. That is in verses 14. Paul quoted the verses 12 to 14 in Romans 10, six to eight, to eight. He says, God came down to us in the form of Jesus. He is the word made flesh, God with us. He came down from heaven and brought to us the truth. God is very near to us because now the Holy Spirit lives in us. We have no excuse to respond. Hearing and knowing should have corresponding obedience. Moses says to the Israelites in verses 15 to 16, just do it. Moses set out the charge in verses 19, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. In other words, no other decision makes sense. God himself is life, is the life of his people. He's the only one who can prolong their days in the promised land, verses 20. The call of Moses to choose life was not only about obeying rules, 
It was a call to the heart. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience with him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That is in Deuteronomy 6, 5. Jesus issued the same call as the first and the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Matthew 22 to 37, 38. The greatest power we possess as humans is the power to choose. Our most important choice, whether on the plains of Moab or on today's face, um, a fast-paced world, is life and good, death and evil. We choose life by choosing God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection of life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. John eleven twenty four. We choose life when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and dedicate our lives to following him. He become our life. Colossians 3, 4. The Lord gives his followers a rich and satisfying life. We hear about the abundance life in John 10, 10. Obedience to God brings life now in its fullest as well as life eternal. John 17, 3. But disobedience results in the greatest curse of all, death and destruction now and forever. Choosing life is choosing the Lord's way above our own. Any other choice would lead to tragedy and death. A life that is lived without regard to God cannot be called living. The Israelites had a choice, and so we do we today. Daily in each situation, we face the opportunity to reaffirm our choice, life or death. So I'm going to end with a memory verse, um, with the memory verse, but I am going to read it from the Passion Translation. I'm going to read it over you guys. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination or the innermost or your innermost heart, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope that he's calling you or to which he is calling you that is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us, his Holy One. I pray that you will continually experience the imaginable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an adventure or an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him and seated him high enthroned to the place of the highest honor and supreme authority at the right hand, a metaphor for the place of honor and authority in the heavenly realms. And now he is exalted far above every ruler, authority, government, and realm in the power. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Have you ever joined one of our live online Bible studies? 
When you become a HeartStrong member, you will have access to all of our live Bible studies. These studies are amazing because we get to do it together. We listen to the teaching and then we spend about 30 minutes discussing what we have learned. You will hear powerful testimonies, insights, and questions and prayer times from people like you and me. We would love to see you there. Visit heartstrong.life and click membership to join. And we look forward to seeing you at one of our live online Bible studies soon. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples together.